sometimes I have wondered whether life wouldn't be much more amusing if we were all devils and no nonsense about angels and being good. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. Today, I'm being joined by the one and only Jesse. How are you, my dear? Doing awesome. You know, I say the one and only Jesse, and I, I never take into the account brand new listeners. So, Jesse is the host. Should I say hostess? <laughs> hostess with the mostest. <laughs> Jesse is the hostess with the mostest of I Dream of Jesse, <laughs> appropriately named. <laughs> Because I do actually dream of her. <laughs> and it's never clean. <laughs> just saying. Oh, boy. Just saying. Bad, you know, it's it's not PG-13. And occasionally it's not rated at all. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> oh, okay, so before I scare her away for good, we do have a fantastic show for you. Thank you for tuning in. It is March 1st, and we're going to start off with the Nine Cents Letters. Now, this is something I've spoken to in the past, but... The fact is, not everyone hears every single episode that is released, so what? we're going to hit it again. I know, I know. Not even some of us <laughs> hear every episode. Um, okay, and, and of course, Jesse is here. I Dream of Jesse, episode 23. What are we calling this one? Your Worst Enemy. Whoa. All right. And no, it's not me. <laughs> Stop thinking that. Yeah. It's not Aaron either. Stop thinking that. Yes. Well, it has to be one of you. I mean, there's it's, literally no other options. It's it's a done. It's it was your third guess. That it's done. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, and then of course, uh, this is the very first episode we're going to be premiering. <laughs> I wish I had like a cute up sound like between the horns. The very first episode one. It's on the definition of Satanism. So uh, Warlock Mandrake has. Joined the Nine Cents family. <laughs> Such a weird thing to say. He has uh, decided to contribute uh, to this lowly podcast. <laughs> so rather than staying on high, he's decided to dip down low here with the Devils, which is just fantastic. And uh, this is actually really good. He he has he has a very specific voice and a very distinct sound to his voice. Uh, I hope you guys really dig it. And by voice, I don't mean his actual like speaking voice. <laughs> I hope that was clear. Uh, it's a really great segment, and I, uh, I hope you guys are going to dig it. Um, but before we start, as per usual, we're going to chat about a couple things here. So, uh, Jesse, can I ask you, do you ever just sign off from the outside world and just bunker down in your home and have a movie day? You just rent a whole bunch of movies, or you just watch a whole bunch of movies, and you don't even leave the house? Oh, no, I've never done that, but we do. We, we never go to movies. So, uh -huh. like, we're constantly renting. Oh, okay. So it's a little bit of what I'm speaking to. Yeah. 
From time to time, I like to shut myself out from the world and drag, at times, kicking and screaming my family with me <laughs> and just rent a whole bunch of movies and watch, just chain watch movies, sitting at home, closed off windows, bar the doors, and it is just us and the movies and each other, and it actually sounds a little bit oppressive, <laughs> not that I'm saying it out loud, but it's fun, it's nice to just shut everything away and just enjoy a good movie with uh, some good company. No, I, I um, used to I used to have some friends who would do something like that, but like they'd either pick a director or an actor or something, mm, and, and they'd just do yeah. like a marathon, and I just, I never managed to make one of those, but I remember getting invited to a Kevin Spacey party, and man, that must have been awesome. He's good. He is good. Yeah, that would have been good. That would have been great. Um, yeah, we didn't do anything like that. We Well, I guess maybe... Maybe it was the Oscars that was our theme, if I'm looking back on it. But I watched uh, I watched Whiplash, and I was I was blown away. I love that show. So I mean, the music was amazing, the performances were fantastic, and the last I don't know 20 minutes, 15 minutes, I didn't realize that I was just listening to a drum solo that the entire time, and it was amazing. <laughs> I don't even like drum solos. But I was digging, just digging it so much. It was so good. Great show, if you haven't seen it, by the way. I'll take your word for it. Whiplash! <laughs> uh, but it's, all, it's jazz, you know? I mean, it's just really great, like, swing and jazz. And it's such, you know, old school music that just wakes me up inside. But also, uh, maybe not... Okay, so I can't say the Oscars was the theme, because we did watch some other things. Um, I was scrolling past movies, and... Uh, I just have a whole bunch of horror movies and so my daughter saw Frankenstein and then she saw Bride of Frankenstein and she stopped me she was like dad let's watch that is that the one where uh, he like kills the wife or kills the girl and I was like am I I can't I've lost my radar here I don't know if I've done right by my little girl or wrong that she knows the story of Frankenstein at six years old like i don't know if that's a good or bad thing i can't tell what do you think Jessica? i i think it's a good thing okay yeah well, you're, I, you're a good dad i trust your judgment so i'm gonna <laughs> me not having any children you should definitely trust my judgment <laughs> Fuck. no it was amazing she was just like i, w- I want to watch that i want to watch that i'm like are you sure we could watch a cartoon or something you know we, we have a bunch of cartoons like disney stuff it's like no no let's watch bright friends this is a black and white film like this is an old school you have to be watching it in order to understand it there's no song and dance numbers there's no poppy tunes to or, or flashing colors to get your attention this is my six-year-old daughter sitting down with me enjoying Bride of Frankenstein and I could not have been happier at the moment it was amazing I mean just my son walks in he's like oh what is this black and white why don't they use color (laughs) just complaining and my daughter just like leave just leave the room (laughs) you don't get it step aside I'll watch one that you and I can connect with later like payback or something Mel Gibson awesome flick but uh, right now we're doing this this is awesome um and so that cold open was actually a, a, a sound bite from the show where Dr. Pretorius was talking with um, uh, Dr. Frankenstein about uh, being a devil. 
and uh, how much better it would be. Really great quote. I just thought I should, I, I had to rewind it a couple times just so I could record it, <laughs> in, you know, like on my phone through my speakers and then play it. And they were like, can we just watch the movie? Stop recording this. It's, it's, everything is for your podcast. Stop it. That's, that's my household. <laughs> really nice. Um, and so, you know, again, because it was a movie day, we were watching a lot of like TV shows as well. And there's this new, I, new to me, it, it may have just been out for a season and died, but it's called Blackish, and it's just this black comedy. Um, <laughs> I say black because it's centered, I mean, its title is Black Dash I S H, Blackish, so it's a black comedy. Um, actually, I've been enjoying it actually, but they had this scene in it that just reminded me of a rant I think I've even done on this show about urinals and respecting the space so if you're at the first of five urinals in a line some dude that comes in never goes to the second urinal at minimum they go to the third but if they want to respect you they'll go to the very last urinal so that at any given time there is as much space as possible between your penises (laughs) that's the unspoken urinal rule and they showed it on the show and i looked over my wife i'm like You've heard me bitching about this for years, literally since 1998. I've said this exact same thing. I know I'm not the first guy to say it, but it was just funny seeing it on TV when it's something that I have so uh, aggressively complained about my entire life. Uh, All right, little nine cents letters. Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Saint. Dear Reverend Campbell, I was curious if you perhaps have ever done any segments on relationships with those who are not Satanists. As per my understanding, you are the only Satanist in your household. I am curious if if maybe militant eroticism, I Dream of Jesse, or even Witch Zaftig has covered this at all. Yes, I do understand that if they cannot respect our philosophy... They are not at all worth it, but I'm curious about your professional opinions. So, um, I, I respond to this individual. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. We really appreciate uh, the commentary. And I directed him to the episode that I had spoken to this exact situation uh, year one, so 2011. Um, but it's been a long time and I have a lot of other wonderful contributors as he asked me to tap on the shoulder. And the only one that I thought was worth it, um, not to be rude, but I mean, I'm sure every single other contributor could speak to it, but Jesse is married just like I am and hence is in a long-term, you know, committed relationship, uh, by law as I am and with a non-Satanist nonetheless. So, though we've spoken to portions of this, I really wanted to speak to Jessie about it uh, and and get her sense of this. Uh, so, Jessie, Jessie, mm-hmm. I believe you have outed your man already as not being a Satanist on the podcast. Right. So, uh, what do you think of this? Uh, I, I, but first, I want you to, if you can, address that last paragraph, or I'm, I'm sorry, that last sentence. I understand that if they cannot respect our philosophy, they're not worth it at all. What do you think of that? Mm, I'm not even sure I agree with that much. Um, I mean, if we can just as like a thought experiment here, just put put aside a, a spouse or a lover for a second and just think about your friends because I'm sure everyone listening to this has non-Satanist friends. And, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or even relatives, right? What? Yeah. Um, and they might not respect your philosophy, but you really love their sense of humor or, you know, you've got this shared interest, this hobby that, you know, you both go motorboating together or something. And or, you know, they're your dear sweet mom and she thinks Satanism is stupid, but she's your dear sweet mom and you love her anyway. I mean, I'm sure everybody has those kind of relationships. So it just take it a step further. And OK, now it's the person that you're sharing a bed with. Even if they think your ideas are silly, stupid, not worth their respect, they might still be worth your respect because of other things going on. I mean, if, if Satanism is the whole of your life, I could see where it would be a problem. But it's not the whole of my life. Um, but then again, I'm not in a situation where somebody disrespects my values. So maybe I would be thinking differently if I was. Yeah. I mean, it, I think there's... Okay, so there's a couple things that you just touched on specifically I want to speak to. And the first one, I'm so glad you put it up, um, brought it up, is your entire life is not wrapped around Satanism. You, Yes, you may identify as a Satanist. Yes, you may be a member of the Church of Satan. Yes, you may be an active member of the Church of Satan. But you cannot be summed up. And if you can, I think you're a sorry, sad person. Um, not you, the writer or the author of this question, but just you in general listening. Um, we are so much more than just Satanists. That is one tiny portion. I just spoke to Aden Arden uh, on his segment last week about um, uh, trans... Uh, oh, fuck! And there was a fucking word for it. Um, I don't know. Uh, transsexuals. Where you know, we sort of bantered back and forth about the idea that you are not just your sexuality or your sexual attraction. You are not just a gay person or you're not just a transsexual. Uh, this is not who and what you are. I'm not just a straight person. That is one tiny fragment of who you are as an individual, is who you are as a human being. It's the same thing with Satanist. That is one tiny fragment of who you are collectively as a human being. Certainly in terms of a relationship. Because, let's be quite honest, there's going to be things that you don't like about everyone. Whether it's their religious beliefs, whether it's the way they pick their toes while you're watching TV. Even though you've asked them many, many times not to fucking do it. Because you can hear the click, click, clicking over any action film. And the idea that they're picking their toenails right fucking next to you. That might have gotten a little too personal. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that never happens to me. No. No. By your description, I can tell that's not something that would even bother you. You're like you're like trying to cast a different image just to give an example. I get that. I get exactly. That. Okay. Oh, God. So, so little things may bother you about them. You have to take an individual as their totality. I mean, presumably you're in a relationship with them because you like who and what they are as an individual, not every single tiny fractured part of what makes up that individual. Um, and then you also spoke to... Uh, <laughs> Fuck. I'm sorry, I went off on that rant and I forgot where I was going with it. Um, well, let, let me ask you a question to try to recover <laughs> a little composure. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go along with that. <laughs> that um, how long did it take you to come out to your husband? Uh, was it during the courting phase? Did you identify as a Satanist while you were uh, first getting together or before no, you even got together? Um, I was... 20 when we first started dating 
And I didn't find out about Satanism until I was 35, 36. Wow. Um, so we, um, were we already married by then? We might not have been married, but we had been, we would have been living together for many, many years. Living in sin. I'm kind of one of these people. Yeah, living in totally sin. Ooh, baby. Um, I'm one of these people that I can like dive in both feet into something and stay there for a couple of years before deciding, eh, it's not my thing. Uh, because I, I'm thinking if you're going to, it's, it's, if I'm going to try something, I want to yeah. really try it. I don't see any sense in going half-assed about it. And so sometimes I try things that just, they don't work out. And I'm good mm. with that. So I kind of dove in, you know, both feet into Satanism. And I waited a couple of years or at least a year before saying, yeah, this is for me. And I think I waited maybe another year after that before telling my husband about it because he knows what I'm like. And mm. I didn't want him to think, oh, this is just another passing phase she's going through. She's into this. She won't be into this in a year. So I waited a bit before I said anything to him. Not like I was trying to keep it from him, just that I wanted him to take it seriously, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I want to say I like became a, or you say you became a Satanist. Well, weren't you born a Satanist? Well, I, I think I joined the Church of Satan, if I remember correctly, in 2006. And I probably told my husband in 2008. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. That's interesting. See that, and I had the opposite where I was, I was identifying as a Satanist while my girl and I were together in a relationship and later got married. Um, was it ever, I mean, okay. So I, and here's another thing. <clears throat> Religion is not important to many people. We pretend like it is in our society and politically it's important because it, you know, whatever it, it lights fires under people's asses. But in a, a one-on-one -on -one relationship isn't really not that big of a deal any religion like it you know just argument's sake if my wife was baptist i mean <laughs> to be fair I, I would go to church with her because i love baptist music but that's just <laughs> a weird yes, kink of my own i could see that <laughs> but uh you know if she was a baptist i wouldn't it, that you know that's not who and what she is she's not totally define this. So I may not respect her religion, but because I love her, I'm not going to disrespect it to her face because I care about how she feels. I care about how she wants, you know, how she wants me to act about the things she's passionate about, you know, this basic mutual respect, then I would do that because, because I love her and, you know, it's a part of what she is. And so I'm just going to be respectful to it. So when when he asks um, if they cannot respect our philosophy, then it's not worth it. I'm with you. I don't agree with that, um, that it's not worth it if they don't respect it. Look, a lot of people aren't going to respect it. It's how they react when they don't. Are, are they openly mocking you? Because then, yeah, that's a deal breaker. That, that means they don't respect you as a human being. Why would you want to be in a relationship with someone like that? Um but if they just don't agree with it and they think it's silly, but they just keep their fucking mouth shut out of respect, well, that doesn't matter because you are composed and they are composed of so many other things that you may find attractive or desirable or, uh, you know, wanting to be around in some way yeah, or be I, a part of. You said something there, but I want to, like, reemphasize it because I think you just, you made a great point, but you kind of, like, didn't let, let it stand out. It's Me? If they don't respect your philosophy, okay, but if they don't respect you... 
yeah. there's the problem. Mm. Just wanted to, you know, because you made that point. That's actually, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just taking religion out of it and just speaking to relationships. You know, people who have come up in a uh, less than desirable family, uh, just a family unit, they may not understand what a healthy relationship means because they never had it. Uh, a lot, and this is, in my opinion, sad to say, quite common, that people don't really realize what a healthy relationship is. And if there is one word I can lay down as the foundation of what a healthy relationship is, it's respect. Oh, I thought you were going to say sex. <laughs> See, and I was going to go there, but I didn't want to be crass. <laughs> okay, it's sex, and then above sex is like the pebble layer of the foundation, and then respect is the cement over that that crushed rock that's been pounded into the ground over pounded <laughs> over deep <laughs> sorry um so i mean just having a healthy respect for one another that is you shouldn't be ever be in a relationship with someone who who takes advantage of you who abuses you physically or emotionally who doesn't respect you as a human being that is not a healthy relationship so I'm assuming that if anyone, and I know it's a poor assumption because of the world we live in, but if you respect yourself, you will not be in a relationship like that. And if you are in a relationship like that and you're making excuses about it, you need to fucking have that self-awareness, that strength, that, that intestinal fortitude to get the hell out of that relationship because you deserve better. No one deserves to be taken advantage of. Um... So that aside, I absolutely thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. I said something good. <laughs> it happens every, once every 800 shows, so take advantage. Which is why um, I had to make it stand up like that because people are like, yeah, Adam yeah. is always, you know, full of crap. No, this time he got it. He nailed one, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! <laughs> uh, um, so, you know, I, my wife has told me that she loves the idea of Satanism and she identifies with everything whenever I describe it, but she doesn't like the S word. And so in my opinion, she's very much just an atheist. She's just someone who, you know, likes to be a human being, likes to enjoy life and is just going to move on about it without needing a label or needing to connect with anything else. I, on the other hand, really dig the aesthetics, the idea that the the <laughs> the mental candy that Satanism is. I I don't want to distill it to that because it sounds reductionary, but I, I don't mean it that way. I just mean it's 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 a wonder for me, I, I just love it so much. I can't imagine not identifying as a Satanist. So we're okay with that because she respects what I think you know, and it's back and forth. I, I don't pressure her to think a certain way or to act a certain way. And this is sort of the second phase I wanted to get into with you, uh, if we could. Sure. Did it, did it ever cross your mind as you were discovering Satanism that you wanted to share it with your man? You know, we've got... Here's the dynamic between us. is like he has interests in things and he always tries to include me whether I'm interested or not. And if I'm not interested, he doesn't push it on me. It's not that. Mm. It's just, I've got this interest here. Try it. See what you think. Mm. Whereas I get interests and 
he'll see me with it, but I don't try to draw him in unless he expresses an interest. Mm -hmm. So he's never expressed any interest in Satanism. I mean, the, the books are all there. The information is there. I make these podcasts. He's welcome to hear any of it or to read any of it, but he's just never taken the initiative and I'm not going to force it on him. Can I ask you a personal question? Sure. Does that bother you? No, I'm that kind he of used take an to interest? it. No, it, no, I don't. Oh, see, yeah, no, I'm making it sound like, you know, he has no interest in anything going on with me. It's not that. Oh, he'll talk to other people. Take me out of the equation for a moment. He'll talk to other people. And if they start talking about something he has an interest in, that conversation will go on for an hour or two. If they talk about something he doesn't have an interest in, he'll be happy for them talking about what they're excited about. He just won't engage them in a conversation about it. And that's kind of the way he is with me. He's happy for me to be happy about whatever my interest in is, whatever hobbies I have. It's just if it's not something that's stirring his own mind up, he'll just let it go at that. Do you ever get to a point where you want to sort of banter back and forth about uh, an idea or, you know, these essays that you write, uh, the blog that you have, that you want to, you know, sort of riff with someone about them. Um, <laughs> is he open with that? Yeah. Um, oh, was it the last one or the one before? It was one of the most recent episodes of this that it's the first time I've ever read it to him before presenting it. Mm. And he's a critic. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I kind of, I, I don't know that I want to do that again in the future because it's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, you're making me real apart. nervous about putting this on a podcast here. He's like, no, no, it's good. It's just this, you know, I wouldn't say that. And, you, <laughs> oh, he nitpicks, <laughs> he nitpicks pretty bad. <laughs> I I think that's good, though. I I like the challenge. I think that that either helps us solidify our opinions, our thoughts, um, our, the, the way that we're delivering our thoughts, or it forces us to realize that maybe it wasn't the best way. You know, I, I kind of like that challenge. I don't feel like I get it enough. So I would, I mean, like in my relationship, I think it's the opposite where if I deliver something or if I, you know, present something to my wife, like, hey, you know, this is what I'm thinking of. And I just start sort of, you know, riffing about it. She's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, that's great. I'm like, okay, but and I know I can't ask, well, how, how can I improve it? How can I adjust it? Do you agree? Do you disagree? What do you like? What don't you, you know, I want, I desperately want that feedback. And I just, when it comes to Satanism, I, I'm just not going to get it from her. So yeah, see, it's, it's the exact opposite. Because even if he agrees with something I said, he just takes the argumentative position. You know, you, <laughs> the you could devil's agree advocate. With, yeah, ninety-five percent of it you might agree with, but you know, he's going to pick on that one little thing that he thinks. Well, I, I wouldn't say that part, and, <laughs> and it's just you know, occasionally I think I might prefer to have somebody say, "Oh, that's that's a great idea, dear." <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here's what we do. I, I propose <laughs> a temporary discussion swap. <laughs> just discussion, just for the sake. I want the critical, so I want your man for a night. <laughs> you don't want the critical, you get my girl for the night. It's just <laughs> once a month, just so we can both feel better. 
Yeah, that that would be that'd be really funny. Yeah, hey, we're, uh, we're gonna have to do a spouse swap, most <laughs> definitely. Jesse's man, I need to talk to you. <laughs> I don't even know your man's name. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> all right, but okay. So here's what's wonderful is that this entire time we've been talking, we've been revealing how we as Satanists who are married to non-Satanists interact with someone who may not have any real interest in what we're passionate about, but because they are in a relationship with us, they will they will sit there and they will listen if we want to talk. They will give us feedback if we want feedback, really. And they're not going to, you know, shun us. They're not going to disrespect us. And they're certainly not going to go out on a limb and disrespect Satanism as an, a philosophy, as a religion, because they may not agree with it. So keep that in mind. If if you're in a relationship with a person that that just doesn't respect what you do so much that they just mock it, that's that's unhealthy too. I mean, that's just, you got to really question. I mean, every single, what we have to realize and I, I started this discussion, um, this last portion of it, asking you if, if you ever wanted to share uh, Satanism with your spouse when you were discovering it. And I've actually gotten a lot of feedback from people since I've been doing this podcast that do want to share Satanism with their significant other. Or I get the, this wonderful question of, how can I get my girl to be a Satanist? <laughs> well, there's, there's another And aspect. I just want that to sit there for a second because... Yeah, it's, that's, that's a ridiculous question well, on many now, levels. But there's another aspect to that, that when you first discover Satanism, depending on your age, if you're young mm. enough, then it probably seems like the most sensible thing to do to scream about it from the rooftops and enlighten the masses. And this is the yeah. greatest thing you've ever heard. And you just want to share it with everyone you love. Yeah. Yeah. I found out about it later in life when I had a little bit more wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the 16-year-olds are like, you thought sliced bread was great? Holy fuck, you didn't heard about Satanism! And you're just like, uh, sliced bread ain't so bad. <laughs> yeah, evangelism is kind of stupid, but you don't realize that when you're younger. It's true. It's very, 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 very true. I love it. Yeah, I remember being in basic training when uh, I was come upon by a fellow uh, trainee and I, I was reading the Satanic Bible in one of the brief moments of downtime we get. And he was like, what? Oh my, can you, can you talk to me about this? Can you teach me about this? I'm like, I can lend you this book, but I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to teach you about it. And then he, as soon as he read the Satanic uh, statements, that was it. He didn't read the rest. He didn't understand what it was about. All he needed was satanic statements, and he started proselytizing to the masses. <laughs> he was just thumping that satanic Bible every place he could. And it was the most annoying thing ever, because not only did I inadvertently wake up this real shitty pseudo that just wanted to be the bad kid and the tough kid, but now I had to fucking hear about it. Like, I... In some way, I was responsible to the other uh, soldiers that I was with. I was like, no, no. So I had to fucking correct every incorrect thing he was saying. And then he would just come up and, and just start asking me these stupid questions about quotes and all this. It's just like, I didn't want this at all. Like, just take it and run. Leave me the fuck alone. I don't want anything to do with this. D did he credit you every time he embarrassed himself? He called, oh. <laughs> he did, but, and here's the worst thing. He didn't see it as making a fool of himself. 
he always felt like he was in the right. And so he, he was flawed as a, a human being, in my opinion, to begin with. Um, but, I mean, it got to the point. Like, he, he just didn't get it. You know, I mean, some people get it. Some people don't get it. Some like the idea of it. They're sort of fans of it, but they don't really get it. Uh, he, he definitely didn't. Um, uh, I was, so I started on saying, uh, you know, some people want to turn their spouses into Satanists. And, and we've said it so many times that uh, it's, it, it, you know, you say something so much, it, it doesn't have the same meaning. You cannot create this. You either get it or you don't. You shouldn't want to convince your significant other to be a Satanist. If you uh, love them and you appreciate them and you respect them, then there's nothing wrong with presenting it to them. I mean, they're in a relationship with you in one way or another, so hopefully they'll want to hear what you're passionate about. But don't try to turn someone into it. There is no such thing as turning someone into a Satanist. There is no such thing as convincing them, no matter, you know, late into the night arguing. It, it doesn't make you less of a Satanist being in a relationship with a non-Satanist. It doesn't. It doesn't make you less anything. It doesn't reflect on you in any way at all. So let them be who they are, and you be who you are. Hopefully, that's the reason why you connected in the first place, is because you liked who they are, not who you could turn them into. Yeah, I, I might qualify that with one kind of a counterexample, is if you're dealing with someone that you see as a de facto Satanist, mm -hmm. but they've got, they were born, re or born into a religious family, and, you know, they have some stupid beliefs and you think that deep down they know their stupid beliefs. So you start having atheist conversations with them. In that sense, are you turning them from Christian to Satanist or are you just, you know, helping them over one hurdle to discovering what they already are? I mean, it, I don't know if that becomes a semantic debate at that point, but I could see people saying, well, you know, perhaps Satanists are made if they're former Christians and, and somebody talks them out of it. And I, I don't think that's the same thing as, I don't think that um, contradicts the, the idea that you're born not made, but I could see where people would misinterpret that as saying, as being a, a contradiction of it, if that made any sense at all. I completely understand what you're saying. Um, I was very much speaking specifically to where, you know, a spouse who didn't want to identify as a Satanist, I maybe agree, like in, in my relationship, for example, my wife doesn't like the term Satanist as a self-identifying term. She just feels okay being an atheist. It would be me, in, in the example I'm saying, it would be me trying to force her to take on the title of Satanist. Like, you, this is what you are. Come on. We could be so much better if you just said you were a, you know, because at that point, it's not even about them. It's about you trying to feel in your own sick way better about yourself because you're in a relationship with a Satanist rather than with that other human being that you've chosen to be with. I, what you're saying, I think, is very much more of exposing someone to uh, what I perceive as is undeniable truth, <laughs> atheism at its core. And then introducing them to Satanism through that. Yeah. You know, not not trying to force them to be a Satanist so that you can say you're in a relationship with a Satanist. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a weird difference, but I think it's an important one. And I, I wouldn't say a lot of people do this, but I have, I have run across it from time to time. And I discourage it at every avenue. Never try to turn someone into something they're not. And the reality is, well, let me ask you, Jesse. Do you think um, people can change in a relationship? 
Of course. Really? Yeah. I didn't expect that. Oh, yeah, of course. People change all the time. I mean, you change your underwear. You're (laughs) lucky, but... (laughs) Like, fundamentally, like, their opinions, their thoughts, their... You think a lot of people change? Yeah, I think... I know we're capable of it, but... Yeah, I I think... Jesus, didn't I talk about this last month? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think when you look at other people, you see sort of a consistent, very shallow image that won't ever change. But when you think about yourself, you see yourself capable of all kinds of changes. Yeah, you have definitely spoken to this in, in one of your past episodes. So, yeah, I totally, you know, when, I, when I'm not thinking deeply, when I'm just sort of looking shallowly, which is, you know, 99.9% of the time, no, mm. I don't think people can change then. But when I actually am, you know, using my brain and thinking about it, yeah, people are totally in, 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 are, are capable of dramatic changes throughout their lifetime. Well, there you have it. Eloquently shit on my point. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Did it but, right. but when I was shitting on your, were you flushing so the person in the other? <laughs> <laughs> Bring it right back home. <laughs> That's what I love about you. People will have to listen to the cutting room floor to understand that one. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I don't get it. Um, all right. Well, I hope we have. Uh, I know we've directly addressed the question. I hope we've covered any side questions you may have had. And again, if you do have any follow up, you can reach out to me or Jesse. Uh, how can how can this uh, individual listener or any listeners reach out to you? They can email me at idojesse at gmail dot com. I'm on Facebook as Jesse Twain, and I also have a blog, uh, which is. Um, Drafts from a Satanic Windbag at WordPress.com. Yeah, yeah. So we're actually going to go through that same exercise at the tail end of I Dream of Jesse. But just so you know, if you have any relationship questions or anything like that, she may not want to answer them, but uh, she may be a doll and answer them anyway if you send them her way. Uh, let's, yeah, let's do a little I Dream of Jesse. All righty. Jesse! What do you want? Well, first, Jesse, I'd, I'd, I'd like you to address me as master. I, I am your master, after all. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, master. That's better. Now, look, I've got guests coming over tonight, and I want you to entertain them. What do I look like, a belly dancer? Uh, I, I assume that was part. I mean, the outfit, it, it kind of suggests. You may be used to dance. Listen, the gin put me in the bottle. He forgot to add the preservatives. Now, the outfit may be wrinkle-free, but what in it ain't. You don't like it? Call the number on the bottle and complain. Satanism demands study, not worship. If we had an external deity, then it may be worshiping him would bring us something in return. But we don't. So for us... To worship something, we'd have to be worshiping ourselves. And while I'm not opposed to a healthy sense of pride, we are not objects to be worshipped. In fact, often enough, we're our own worst enemies. We lie to ourselves all the time. Some of the time we do it consciously enough that if we're called out on our bullshit, we'll know we've been being dishonest. Other times, though, we can lie to ourselves in ways that we simply can't detect. Recent news about Brian Williams is what first brought this to mind. Now, it could be he's a lying sack of shit, or it could be he truly misremembered the events that he wrote about. 
I don't honestly care, though I did find the discussions around memory interesting. But I don't want to talk about Williams or the fallibility of memory because that's been done to death recently. And it's only one way in which our brains fail us. Think about any simple optical illusion you've seen. One everybody's probably seen is the one with line drawings of two tables viewed from different angles. One table looks longer to us, even though they're the same dimensions. Or there's the one with the horizontal line, and on either end there are greater than and less than signs, either pointing in or pointing out. Again, we see the lines as being, we don't see the lines as being the same length, even though they are. Now we're told the solution to the optical trick, but it's still not something we can really see. Optical illusions are cool and fun, and we amuse ourselves with them. But they're also a sign that our brains do fail us. And false memories and visual illusions are hardly the extent of the problem. Here's another one for you. Dr. Robert Sapolsky, a neuroscientist at Stanford University, has theorized that women take longer than men to calm down after a heated debate. Now, I don't know what this is like for the male participant in such a post-feud situation, but having been the female in this situation, I can tell you it's not entirely unlike the optical illusion of line-drawn tables. Allow me to unpack that. So my spouse and I argue. We both get upset. We come to an agreement. He calms down, but I'm still upset. Why am I still upset if we resolve the issue? And why isn't he upset? It must be because the resolution we, work, we worked out is unfair and to his advantage. Yes, that's it. That's got to be it. I know this because every fiber of my being is telling me that I have a reason to be upset. Just like every fiber of my being is telling me those two line-drawn tables are not the same length. I want to make sure I express this clearly. When I'm upset, I'm not consciously wondering why. My body is experiencing the physiological aspects of being angry. My mind rationalizes this in an instant. And whatever rationalization it creates, I interpret that rationalization as the cause of my feeling upset, not realizing that my feeling upset is the cause of the rationalization. I believe I mentioned studies done on split-brain patients in a prior episode. They've shown that if a split-brain patient can see something with one half of their brain and take some action based on what it sees, that the other half of the brain will concoct a verbal explanation of the action without knowledge of the visual prompt. One side of the brain sees a sign saying, push the red button, and a hand goes out and pushes it. And the other half of the brain immediately explains the action by saying, oh, I was just curious to see what the red button would do. The explanation comes immediately and is entirely plausible because we're that good at rationalizing our own behavior an instant after it occurs. Speaking of pushing buttons, there have been other studies done that show our decision to press a button occurs after we press the button. When the most famous of these studies was published by Benjamin Libet in the 1970s, it opened up discussions on what it means to have, or not to have, free will. Now people much wiser than me are still debating this, but I think it's apparent that whatever degree of free will we have, it's less than we perceive us ourselves having. When we act before we think, we can become our own worst enemy, behaving in ways that counter any ideals we strive for. Here's a fun study. Scientists recently discovered hungry people want to acquire more things, even at a cost, even if they don't like those things. 
Now, I'm sure you've all heard the advice of not going to the grocery store when you're on an empty stomach, but it turns out we don't just buy, we don't just make bad food decisions when we're hungry. The switch that gets flicked in, flicked on in our brain to tell us to acquire food will also tell will also tell us to acquire crap we don't need or want. In this study, the crap was cheaply made binder clips. Hungry people will hoard binder clips. Seriously. I heard this and I immediately thought of the ease of online shopping, the number of people dieting in the United States, and the prevalence of tips and tricks for dealing with household clutter. I've got a whole collection of tips and tricks for dealing with household clutter. I hold it together with a binder clip. I also have a habit of ignoring a rumbling stomach. Hmm, perhaps there's a connection there. <laughs> One more study I want to mention. This one's from Bruce Alexander at Simon Fraser University. Scientists had been studying addiction by giving lab rats the choice between plain water and drugged water. These poor, bored, confined rats drank the drug water, and lots of it. However, when Alexander improved their living conditions, creating a rat park with lots of room to move, things to interact with, and perhaps most importantly, other rats to socialize with, the drugged water was consumed far less frequently. Now, that's a decades-old study, and there's still some controversy around it. But I think Alexander was onto something there, even if the environment isn't always the key factor. So perhaps you have some compulsive behavior you're trying to reduce. Maybe you should call yourself a lab rat and build yourself a park. Or a lair filled with things you enjoy interacting with. Or people you enjoy socializing with. It might not work, but there's at least some research that you can read up on that would support the effort. The key is not to assume you're being rational all of the time. That what you see is what's real. That what you remember is what actually happened. That what you want right now is what you would want under any circumstances. We are our own gods, but that doesn't mean we're omnipotent, and it doesn't even mean that we can control our own lives. It means we're responsible for our own lives, and if anybody's going to save us from ourselves, it's us. We are each our own personal savior. There's a lot of information out there on ways our brains can fail us, sometimes causing us to become our own worst enemy. You're your own god either way, but I hope I've made clear at least, at least one reason why Satanism demands study. Quite well done, my dear. Ah, uh, thank you. <laughs> I had this exact situation occur yesterday, where I I heard, overheard my, my two kids talking about something. I instantly started getting upset, and I couldn't control. I, I couldn't calm myself down. I just I was just building up and getting more and more angry over it, and. Like, looking back, the reason why I was angry, like, my physiologically, you know, you're hot and upset and the heart's beating, is because I was just thinking about it. And that's what was, you know, adding the fuel to my anger fire. If I just stopped fucking thinking about it and obsessing over it, I wouldn't have been mad at all. Um, I've always had trouble controlling like my emotions I always throughout my whole life and it's 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 always I, I feel like I've gotten a lot better at it what do you think is uh, the best way to do this is it just uh, perspective is it is it understanding your triggers I mean how can you not be your worst enemy 
I think it comes, it, it's really, you can't, oh, <laughs> let me try to finish a sentence here. Um, it's like, okay, if I'm going to get angry and I'm going to come up with a, a rationalization of why I'm angry, that's going to happen too fast for me to stop. Yeah. But once I start going down that path, if I'm paying attention, if I've got the presence of mind, I will know I'm going down that path. And then I can try to like just say something that that gives me an exit, that I get to walk away for a minute and cool down and say, okay, you know, wait 10 minutes and am I still angry or am I starting to think things differently? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's something like that. You're not going to be able to prevent it. You're not going to be able to stop it. All your well, you're going to be able to stop it, but not immediately. Yeah, and that's like the best you can probably do. I mean, some of these things are like the whole thing with the the, the rat park, and and you know, if if you're dealing with an addiction and you're trying to change your environment, right? That that comes down to like working on habits and motivations, and and what okay, what's going to trigger me to do this thing I'm trying to stop doing? Well, let me take that trigger out of my environment because once that trigger happens, I can't control myself. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm trying to give up chocolate and I've got chocolate donuts in, on the counter, then I'm going to eat the donuts. But if I never buy chocolate donuts, well, that's one less trigger for me to deal with. It's that kind of, you know, so, so you've, got the, you've got the awareness of what's going on and trying to keep yourself you know, keep the presence of mind to realize something has triggered you. You've also got the the um, premeditated control of your environments and your triggers to work with. Um, and, and just, you know, keeping up with the literature and keeping up with the studies and, and finding out as much as you can about how these things work and trying to manipulate yourself before the fact, after the fact, somehow through the fact... Because it is your own brain that you're working against. That's what's so amazing about this entire segment, I think. Um, and to extrapolate that into just the way that we, uh, the way you've, you've uh, shown that we, uh, <laughs> we react and then we think about it. <laughs> I just, I, I love that idea so much because it's such a terrible idea. It's such a, you are so incomplete and, absence of control over yourself it's only after it started that you can try to grab the reins and pull it back in and the best you can do is to try to control triggers before the fact <laughs> like and just hoping that you don't get that whatever that trigger is for you for that particular emotion or, or whatever um it's, it's it's fascinating that we are in in one moment in absolute control of our lives and in the next absolutely not in any possible way in control of anything of our lives. Um, this duality of man, as it were. I, I really, I, this, while you were speaking, while you were um, uh, doing such a wonderful job of, of uh, delivering your segment, I was thinking, this is, this is a side of lesser magic I've never really thought of before. And that's applying it to yourself. I've never thought of it in that way. Like, I always thought of lesser magic to manipulate others. I never thought of it to use it to manipulate yourself. But to what you're speaking to, it seems like the perfect way of managing something before it happens. 
a little bit lesser magic. Your donut example. Don't buy the fucking donuts. You know you're going to <laughs> obsessively eat the chocolate donuts if they exist on your shelf. It's just a little bit of lesser magic in your own life directed right to your own brain. <laughs> I yeah, love that I, idea. I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about manipulating myself. I've never thought of it as lesser magic. So that's an interesting, yeah. I, I guess it is. I mean, it's the same sort of things you would, you know, you'd set up, a, you would set up a situation to manipulate a certain individual in a certain way. That individual just happens to be you this time, you know? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And in that light, looking at some of these ideas that, um, for those of you who don't or haven't uh, read yet, The Satanic Witch by uh, Anton LaVey, I highly recommend it. It's a new way to look at that material, I think. I mean, certainly, it's imperative to know yourself in order to manipulate anyone else. Much more important if you want to manipulate yourself. <laughs> you must know yourself. So as we were speaking in that last segment, you know, if you're young and you haven't really experienced your life yet, you're not going to be able to do this by any stretch of the imagination. But for those of us who have a little bit of age, who have a little bit of wisdom, this could be a really wonderful tool to use uh, if you have self-perceived deficiencies, faults, uh, this could be a way of remedying them. Yeah, that's interesting. You, thanks. That's, that's good stuff. Um, again, so we just spoke to this before, but uh, for those listening, how can they get in touch with you? How can they learn a little bit more about Jesse online? Is anybody still listening? Oh, they're listening. <laughs> oh, uh, yes, they they can find me on Facebook. I'm Jesse Twain. Uh, on Gmail, I'm idojesse at gmail.com. And I also have a blog, draftsfromasatanicwindbag.wordpress.com. And again, I say this every time, but I do mean it. You, you really should check her out on that blog. Uh, she, she posts a lot of things that have nothing to do with uh, the episode that she speaks to in her segment. Um Jesse is a smart, incredibly wise, uh, very perceptive woman. And uh, I, I'm a I'm damn very... fool of an old lady. Who are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am so wonderfully impressed with you. And I truly, truly love what you do in your segment. Um, I'm so pleased that you, uh, you continue to do it. Um, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. All right, let's do a little uh, Between the Horns. I have a little bit of setup I discussed with uh, Warlock Mandrake about the segment, about what he's going to bring in the segment, and then he goes ahead and delivers the, the first episode on the definition of Satanism. So uh, we'll see you on the other side. Did you ever want to sell your soul to the devil? Have all your wildest dreams become reality? just sign a blood on the dotted line. Of course, not everyone can find the crossroads, so let me make it easy for you. Tune in every month to Nine Cents, and I'll bring you Down to the Crossroads. We'll discuss the blues, the devil, and everything in between. Down to the Crossroads with your host, Aaron Casabaugh, every month, only on NineCentsPodcast.com. Before we start the very first episode of Between the Horns with... Warlock M.A. Mandrake, I wanted to have a discussion with him to sort of introduce him to you, the audience. And that's what this is for. So, uh, Warlock Mandrake, how are you? 
I'm great, thanks. How are you, Adam? I'm doing quite well, and I'm very, very excited about having uh, Between the Horns brought to Nine Cents. I think the audience is going to absolutely love it, and from what I've heard of the first episode, it is quite fantastic. So what I'd like to do first and foremost is maybe a little bit of discovery here for the audience. Um, I've spoken to you before about some of your other projects, and you've done this wonderful intro for Nine Cents, which I'm sure people are quite familiar with once they've heard your voice now. And um, we've played some of your other um works on the podcast so just as a little bit of clarity um at by the way of an introduction can you tell us a little bit about yourself uh sure i i do a lot of different things i'm (laughs) i'm a, a writer artist musician um but uh in this case i'm clearly a writer i started uh, Between the Horns is a, a blog in 2009, um, and it's been basically uh, just a, a few essays per year in general, um, but I've been looking to expand it, and uh, I've been thinking about this for a long time, about uh, seeing how it could work in a podcast format, so I'm really excited to be bringing it to Nine Cents. Yeah. One thing that... Um... One of the reasons I think a lot of podcasts never quite get off the ground or just never really take hold is the, I mean, it's the repetition of it. Like, you have to be able to come up with content on whatever interval you set out at. And that becomes a challenge, I think, for a lot of people. Um, What I'm really excited for is that, you know, because Nine Cents is formatted in a weekly way, we can feature a lot of different really valuable and worthwhile voices and I'm, I'm super excited to have Between the Horns and we're actually going to be playing the very first episode as soon as we're finished with our uh, discussion here. So I don't want to go on uh, too long about it but I do want to ask you a couple questions because there is, as I mentioned, quite a difference between writing a blog and having a couple essays um, a couple times a year and producing content, um, you know, on a monthly basis. So... Yeah. Had, did you did you think about that going into this thing? You know how do you have like a, a plan on how you're going to continually come up with uh, new content every month? Absolutely. Well, I'm always thinking about uh, just a, a wide variety of topics. My what what I'm really interested in doing here is exploring a wide variety of topics uh, through the lens of Satanism, and also looking at uh, Satanism itself as uh, all of all of its you know, philosophical architecture you know it's mm-hmm. uh, there are a lot of I think a lot of points that might get overlooked or aren't discussed much little questions that I think everyone has that I, I I just don't think we discuss much because you know when Satanists get together what do we do we we just we hang out we have a great time mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't yeah. We don't speak uh, ad nauseum about Satanism usually. <laughs> so that is, yeah, that's something I noticed almost. And well, I mean, everyone's going to notice it immediately once they start um, interacting with fellow Satanists. And I would say it's a telltale sign <laughs> that you've <laughs> met a sort of first phase Satanist when all they want to do is talk about Satanism rather than their life or the sport or the activity or just chit-chatting about life or, you know, that particular meal or a, a drink or something. You know, there's, you never just sit down and see like, so, 
Satan. <laughs> yep. Yep. How about that, Satan? Huh? <laughs> Old scratch. Yeah. So, it, and it's just awkward too. At least for me, when you do find yourself stumbling into that, when you when you meet that person that just wants to talk. So let's talk Satanism. I don't. I mean, we presumably we both were Satanists, so we already know. I mean, I, what he wanted to talk like you know it's just kind of weird it's it's a weird th- awkward thing and that's why you know these podcast formats are really fantastic because uh well he i mean just part of the reason i even started nine cents was that there were other you know prior to nine cents other satanic podcasts but i didn't really see th- I didn't see Satanism through the same lens. And that's really what's fantastic about Satanism in and of itself is that you have such a wide array of personalities, opinions, and perspectives on some of even the most core of uh, what seemingly some of the most core ideas of Satanism. I mean, greater magic, lesser magic, just Satanic ideas in and of themselves, the nine Satanic statements, interpretations of them. So because there's so much ground that one could cover, it's really amazing that we have this type of a format and and we have you coming on to, to deliver your own perspectives of, of some of these uh, key elements of Satanism. And, it, it, you know, if I can say so, it's a bit of a vacuum that we currently have with Nine Cents. So I think Between the Horns is going to be a perfect fit and i'm very excited for it so let's um let's give a little tease here about this first episode what can the good folks um expect in the next couple minutes okay it's uh, on the definition of satanism uh, which is an essay that's uh currently also featured on the church of satan website uh and uh it's just about the i i, I was thinking a lot about over a long period of time about how we how we define Satanism. That's really quite straightforward in that sense. Uh, it's it's about how we define our philosophy, our religion, in this context, especially now that we have you know these other these groups that that want to redefine it and um, and are getting more publicity for mm-hmm. just being you know pretty much pranksters with horns and mm-hmm. I just think it's a really important it's possibly the, the most significant aspect of it so mm-hmm. I don't want to be redundant it's it's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what it's about well it's it, it, I think everyone's going to really enjoy it. It was a wonderful essay when I saw it on Church of Satan and um, Between the Horns. So um, before we dive into the episode here, can you tell the good folks how they can find you online if they wanted to maybe dig a little bit beneath the surface? Sure. Uh, betweenthehorns.com. It's that simple. And my email address is mm at betweenthehorns.com if anyone wants to reach out that way. All right. Well, Warlock Mandrake, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for bringing Between the Horns to our audience. And to me, I, I genuinely think that you, um, you're you a fascinating individual with a different perspective than you find in, in virtually everyone I've met so far. And I, I think that is very special. And I'm very pleased uh, to, uh, you know, have you with us and a part of Nine Cents. Thank you very much, Reverend Campbell. Let's go ahead and uh, dive into this first episode of Between the Horns. 
Hello, this is M.A. Mandrake with the inaugural episode of Between the Horns. Since 2009, I've been sharing my essays about Satanism on BetweenTheHorns.com. Now feels like the right time for this blog to evolve into a podcast. And what better way to initiate a satanic podcast than with a discussion of this often controversial religion? I am an active member of the Church of Satan, in which I hold the title of Warlock. Views expressed in this series may include personal opinions as well as fundamental Church of Satan ideology. Though this episode might be an exception since it appears in essay form on churchofsatan.com. The title of this number is On the Definition of Satanism. Three devil worshippers walk into a desecrated church. Stop me if you've heard this one. They light candles, burn incense, and, much to their surprise, they successfully summon Satan. When they bow down to worship his infernal majesty, he says, Haven't I taught you anything? Satanism is not devil worship. No matter how often we restate this, misunderstandings persist. But that's no surprise. Anton Zander LaVey codified this religious philosophy under a name that, while accurate, had hitherto been used almost exclusively as a religio-political slur against assorted heretics, freethinkers, and pagans. This nomenclature has parallels to the term Impressionism, which was first used as an insult against a pioneering approach to painting in the late 19th century. Since it was basically accurate, this pejorative was adopted as the most suitable name for a movement that eventually became respectable. But Satanism is far more controversial than the pastel Luciferianism of the Impressionists, and the history of slander against it spans millennia. And yet, with the founding of the Church of Satan in 1966, Satanism transubstantiated from a scandalous accusation into an unconventional means of self-realization. In the Satanic Bible, LaVey rhetorically asks whether devil worshippers are practicing Satanism in its truest sense. He points out that previous definitions of Satanism were merely Christian propaganda, whereas he is expressing Satanic thought from a truly Satanic point of view. Unlike its theoretical caricature, genuine Satanism evolved from atheism. After all, the mythological Satan doesn't worship any gods above himself. Neither do we. Every Satanist is his or her own god. You can't get more satanic than that. LaVey's unprecedented formulation organically integrates the full spectrum of the satanic, from traditional ritual trappings, to literary predecessors, to previously unidentified strains of cultural resonance. With LaVey came the first definition of Satanism that is truly satanic, through and through. It is a comprehensively sound work of conceptual architecture. Each and every element is integral to all the others. Even so, the resulting structure allows for infinitely varied elaboration in accordance with the idiosyncratic passions of each individual Satanist. Satanism is not a faith, but an augmentation. Satanism applies the principles that define the very nature of devils. The rejection of external gods, the embrace of carnality, 
and a stance of honest individualism. Again, Satanists do not worship Satan. Rather, we emulate that mythological figure's most productive qualities, rejecting the rest as anti-carnal propaganda. This very act of defining Satanism and correcting its misrepresentation is a satanic act unto itself. Ours is the most accurate definition, and quite naturally resisted by many who subscribe to an unsatanic worldview. They simply cannot grasp what comes so naturally to us, and we cannot afford to forget that, lest we commit the sin of solipsism. We insist upon this differentiation between Satanism and devil worship, pushing back against endless misunderstandings, because these efforts sustain the religious philosophy that enriches our lives beyond measure. On a personal level, I would like to give others a chance to experience the unexpected exhilaration of self-discovery that I enjoyed at age 13. As Magister Nemo writes in Satanism Needs an Enema, the satanic movement is ideas. The wrong ideas can kill what is truly satanic in our efforts and leave us just another mindless cult. If an already satanic individual comes across too much misinformation before rejecting Satanism altogether, we will have lost the full emergence of a remarkably inspiring peer. So, if we reject the supernatural definition of Satanism, why do we use the name? LeVay admits in the Satanic Bible that they named our religion. But, being anti-Satanic, most religionists interpret Satanism through the lens of their own mythological prejudices. Yet, the hegemony of spiritual religions has, through the course of human history, solidly established the groundwork of what is considered Satanic. This provides a context for us that could be alienating, but which we adapt toward our own stimulation. The only problem is that they have also projected their own faith-clouded ideas into their conceptions of Satanism, thus accusing us of their own compulsive fantasies. And so it is up to us, as Satanists, to continue asserting the definition of Satanism from a truly Satanic point of view. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Between the Horns. I look forward to being the devil on your shoulder, yapping into your left ear for many more episodes. Until next time, Hail Satan! And that is going to do it, everyone, for another show. We hope you enjoyed it, and we would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. Now, keep in mind that if you do have a question about Satanism or about life or about politics or whatever it is, all of the different reasons why you reach out to us, you're probably not the only one. And I always tell my son, the only stupid question is the question not asked. So send us some comments, send us your questions. We'd love to uh, address them and we will always respond to you, uh, hopefully in a good time, but life can be a bit tricky sometimes. So you can also visit us in the social media, SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, MySpace, and get updated uh, on weekly topics. From time to time, we will send out... Uh, 
um, contests or random thoughts or imagery. So uh, tune in on those social network pages if you are on social networks. Download the show Mondays via the RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. And we're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, and YouTube. And remember, if you get us via Stitcher, YouTube, or iTunes, give us a rating, give us a, um, a review. It not only tells us that we're doing the right thing, we're doing some good, but it also lets everyone else know that this is something of value and that they'll then in turn tune in. If you'd like to learn more about Satanism or the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. Why wouldn't you? It's a fantastic website. Maybe I have personal reasons for saying that, but it is a fantastic website and it has a ton, a ton of amazing content. And uh, remember, nine cents here, the only way we're going to continue doing is it, is it? <laughs> the only is it way of is, uh, yeah. if you tell a friend, share nine cents, let others know about it and, uh, you know, we can continue doing this happily ever after. That was kind of weird and creepy. Uh, once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by... Jesse. Ah, oh, Jesse. Soon oh, we're going to be Adam. swapping spouses. Mm. <laughs> it's going to be... Yeah, you're all... Uh, I'm not sure they're going <laughs> to consent to this. Yeah, they don't have a, they don't have a choice. <laughs> they have to, damn it. Uh, until next week, hail Satan. Hail Satan.